I have been married for 22 years, coming up this October, which is crazy. And I have a four-year-old daughter, Riley Hope, and I have been home for the past four years, which has been crazy. I mean, that was a lifelong dream to be a stay-at-home mom of multiple children. And that dream took 17 years to happen. And I have one. <laughs> I had her at 42, coming in hot at 42. I was 43, two weeks later. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been great. I mean, I love being a mom, but it's also been a transition because I, you know, almost worked for 20 years, you know, where you're up and you're out of the house and you're with adults and working. So it's it's been an adjustment for sure. Um, I'm, And you know, now that in the next fall, she'll be going to kindergarten full time, I'll be ready to jump back in. So, and I've started to do a couple of different things, whether it's a speaking engagement or counseling people. Um, so I'm not sure what's around the corner, but I'm kind of getting ready to do some more stuff. We are all on a journey. We're all at different points on life's journey, and that's okay. I'm Steph Reynolds, Director of Partner Care here at Shine.fm. The purpose of our journey is simple, but sometimes it's difficult. Our desire is to keep moving forward, becoming more like Jesus. Rachel's lifelong dream of being a mom took 17 years and was only in God's perfect timing. Her long journey of infertility strengthened her faith in a way that allowed times of desperation and literally crying out to Him. Rachel bravely shares her story that led to her miracle baby, but it's a story much deeper than the gift of a baby. She received the gift of dependence on her Savior. This is Shine 180, stories of lives transformed by God because of your faithfulness. Here is Rachel's story. So where it, it all started with Cabbage Patch Kids back in the day. No, I just always, from remember those? You couldn't get one of those? God bless my mom, Nancy. She found the one I wanted. Blonde hair boy with a jogging suit and a pacifier. And they were hard to get. And I was very specific in what I wanted for Christmas. So anyway, I just always loved playing dolls. I was, you know, I was one of those kids that babysat, wanted to be around kids. And so, you know, we all make our plans, right? This is how my life's going to fold. I'm going to get married. I'm going to be a mom, a stay-at-home mom. And that's it. I didn't have any dreams of a career. My dream was to be a stay-at-home mom. So I went to college, Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan, graduated. And then after that, met my husband and... I really went to grad school on a fluke. Um, it wasn't like, oh, I want to go to grad school and I want this career. It was like, oh, why not? You know, we're, you know, we didn't want kids like right when we were married. So we were like, let's give it two years or so. So I went to grad school. I did an accelerated program. I was done in a year and, you know, working. And then it was like, okay, now let's start the plan, right? Let's, let's just get to the season of kids. And that's where all my friends were too. They were all married. Everyone's in that, you know, season of kids and everyone's starting to have babies and it just wasn't happening for Rob and I. And so, you know, I wasn't too discouraged at first, but you know, year goes by, two years go by, three years go by, four years go by. You're like, what is going on? Um, so that's like kind of the crux of like where it started for me. The plan was to be a mom. And that plan wasn't happening. And it took quite a few years to make that plan happen. And, you know, we went to doctors and doctors, that's called undiagnosed infertility, meaning they couldn't find anything that was wrong, which was sort of maddening because I'm kind of the person, I'm a little bit type A, like there's a problem, let's fix it. Let's get it, you know, let's crush it and go on to the next thing. Well, I was not crushing fertility, <laughs> let's just say. And all of my girlfriends were, you know, 
like one, two, three, four, six. You're like, okay, people, slow it down. Um, yeah, so that went on for a couple of years. And you know, everybody and their aunt has a remedy for you and will openly tell you what that remedy is. You know, you need to go on vacation, relax. Relax was probably one of the hardest ones for me because I took that personally. And I think with infertility comes shame, right? Like, you know, we know the difference between guilt and shame, right? Guilt is I did something wrong. Shame is something's wrong with me. And that like, it was just like, you kind of walked around like something's wrong with me. What's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? Everybody else is doing it. And particularly with my ter personality, it's harder. So I got anxious. I went through an earlier period of my um, trying this out phase of just having panic attacks and stuff. And I remember my doctor who was very smart in mental health issues. And I'm a mental health counselor, but when it's yourself, it's very hard to recognize. <laughs> like, hello, Rachel. And he was very wise. And he said to me, Rachel, I really think this is tied to your fertility. He's like, you are, you know, kind of a control freak. Let's just call it what it is. And it's not happening. And it's now, you know, you're suppressing all this emotion and it's gonna manifest some way. And for me, it manifested in these panic attacks and stuff. And instantly when he said that, it was like a light bulb went off for me. And it was like, I had to stop and access my situation and really realize yeah, there's a lot of emotion that I'm burying and I'm putting on a pretty good face every day. You know, my game face, life's good. How are you? Good, let's roll. And that was really hard because in that season too, we all know when that season comes of kids, there's baby showers, there's mother's days, there's all that stuff. And even in our church, the church we went to, we always made meals for people. I was so sick of making meals for people and showing up with a happy face. I just was, and we had baby showers for people. I mean, it was like brutal in our church. Not only did you go to your friends, but then the church had, it was like, every time I turned around, there was a baby shower. There was, can you make a meal for somebody? It's Mother's Day, whatever. So anyway, um, and, and the doctor couldn't find anything wrong. And my husband and I only wanted to go so far. You know, that's a very personal thing for people, how far they wanna go and what they're comfortable doing. And uh, I went as far as like Clomid, you know, and I got pregnant on Clomid, which it was like, oh, the heavens opened and everything. And, you know, you're just like, okay, this is it. And, you know, as a woman, you start planning how you're going to tell people and everything. And sadly, that ended in a miscarriage. And that was just devastating. That was probably one of the lowest points for me. Um, I'll never forget that day. I was at work and I started to hemorrhage. And I'm like, okay, this isn't good. And anyway, long story short, you have to go into your OBGYN and sit with a load of pregnant women in the waiting room um, only to go in there and to find out that I am miscarrying and you're probably gonna pass on your own. And I'll never forget that night I went home and it was storming outside and you know, just intense cramping. And my doctor had said, you're probably gonna pass on your own, but if you don't, you're gonna have to come into the hospital. And you know, by the grace of God, I ended up passing the material and stuff on my own at my own home, but I'll never forget that laying in bed with the storm outside and there's this storm raging inside my body, just rejecting this pregnancy. And you're just thinking, what is wrong? All over the Bible, it says, children are a heritage of the Lord. You know, if he who has a quiver full of them, I'm like, what am I missing here, God? Like, what am I missing here? Like, where are you? Why are you do like, it almost felt like you're torturing me. Like I get pregnant after all these people are praying for us and now it ends in miscarriage. It's like, you know, you're just, you're angry. And I was angry at God. And I realized that it's okay to be angry at God. Somebody once told me that it's not okay to be angry at God. And that was um, not true. Um, it is okay to be angry with God. God gave us our emotions 
and wants us to express them. Now, I didn't stay angry with God because I think once you get your emotions out, um, you know, I, what I realized was I was grieving, you know, and I think infertility and miscarriage are one of those losses that fly under the radar. They're not as conspicuous as a death, right? Or a divorce. People recognize, okay, that's a pretty big loss. Miscarriages, infertility, they fly under the radar. You know, people don't know what to say. People try to be helpful, but it's really hard. So anyway, I had the miscarriage. Um, that was very devastating to me. But the good thing that came out of that was I realized I needed to grieve and I had to give myself permission to grieve. And that was something I had not done because as a Christian woman, I prided myself on trusting God. And so it was like, I'm, you know, I remember days driving to work, you know, reciting Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, Rachel, the plans full of hope and a future. And I, you know, believed that, but yet my heart's breaking, you know? So there's this like divide between what I know in my head, but my heart is aching. But I have to say that um, once I gave myself permission to grieve and actually be okay, not being okay, that was huge. That was huge. Cause you know, we all wanna be seen as okay and together. I wasn't okay. And when I finally started to recognize, you know, I'm not okay, this hurts, I'm mad, I need to grieve. And you're not only grieving the miscarriage, but every dream that went along with that, you know, the dreams of how you're gonna tell people, Halloween, trick-or-treating, you know, and it hits you all the time when you're in that place. It seems like there's always a baby carriage or there's always trick-or-treaters or kids getting off the bus and those moments would hit you. And that's grief, it kind of comes in waves, you know, comes in and it goes. We have our plans, but God directs our steps. The season of trying for a baby when her surroundings were full of baby showers and celebrations for her friends continually brought enduring ache to Rachel's heart, but she allowed that pain to refine her. She gave herself permission to grieve, to be angry, and eventually realize it's okay to not be okay. And so we had the miscarriage and then you know, we're still trying and, you know, I went to different doctors, natural people and stuff. And somebody told me it's gluten. I'm like, really? It's gluten? Gluten's keeping me from having a baby? Are you kidding me? You know, so I'm doing all this stuff. Then I went to another guy out in Hinsdale, this fancy doctor who's testing everything coming out of you and doesn't remember your name. You know, you're going to him. You're like, now, who are you again? And you're like, okay. You know, it's, you're just feeling so forgotten. Something that's supposed to be so personal between just you and your husband is now opened up to complete strangers, like such an intimate thing to try to have a child. It's just, it's not fun going to doctors that forget your name and opening your legs every two seconds. It's just, ugh. But anyway, what happened in that, after I decided to allow myself to grieve, I realized something, something shifted in me where I just kind of came to this place where I, I got to trust God, you know, because I had kept trusting in all these plans. Okay, this doctor's going to be the answer. Okay, it's gluten is the answer, you know, because you, we're right, we put our hopes in the plan, right? And we're going to work the plan and the plan's going to work. Well, after a while, I got wise to all of these plans and suggestions are not working. And I had kind of made those kind of idols, to be honest. And so at the end of the day, I've always said, there's a scripture that says, my times are in your hands. And that became my benchmark. My times aren't in this doctor's hands. My times aren't in whether or not I'm eating the right foods. My times are in almighty God's hands. And um, he thought me up, he knew me, and I'm gonna believe that he does have a plan for me. 
And something happened in that verse too, Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, for I know the plans I have for you. The key word would be I, not I know the plans you have for you, Rachel. And so it was really about coming to a place of surrendering my plan while still keeping my desire, the desire of my heart, which was to be a mom. How do you do that? You know, I remember one person told me once who I respected as a Christian woman, you just have to surrender your plan. And she just said it so flippantly and casually, surrender this huge desire. How do you do that? What does that even look like? I don't even know how to do that. But I came to a place where I started to really believe that God's thoughts and ways could actually be higher than mine. There's an idea. (laughs) Really? That God actually has higher thoughts and ways than mine. Um, and that his plan might look different for my life, but it's still gonna be good and it's still gonna be full of hope. And so when you get to that place, when, you're, when you shift from your hope being in your plan to your hope being in God, no matter what, then it really doesn't matter if the plan works or not. Because whether I go to you as a fertility specialist and it, we have success or it doesn't work, God's still got me. God's got a plan. I mean, it's an oxymoron. Hello, I'm a bitter Christian. And let's face it, there were moments when I was bitter, when I was mad, where I was completely broken, completely exhausted. But I just got to this place where God's got me and I am going to believe God and I am going to keep moving forward and enjoying my life. You know, because I think some of us are waiting to enjoy our life until whatever it is we want happens. And for me, for a while, it was until I could be pregnant. And, you know, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. Looking back, I wish I would have enjoyed the journey a little bit more. I mean, I got to that place. I got to a place where I truly said, um, if I don't have children, it's going to be okay. And it's going to be good. And that was a hard place to be from somebody that desperately wanted kids and thought that was all she was going to do in life was be a mom, that it's going to be okay and it's going to be good. And I remember one day, you know, I was telling my husband, Rob, like he said to me, you know, I married a good guy. And he said to me, Rach, if we never have kids, I'm so blessed just with you. And I was like, that's really cool. But I still want kids. <laughs> like, like it really blessed me. But then I kind of fell back because I'm like, I really couldn't say right back at you. Even though I felt that, <laughs> I was kind of like, that's amazing. But I really still want kids. You know what I mean? But I did get there. I did get to the place where I was like, because it's a journey. It's a journey, you know? And I got to the place where I could say, well, I never have kids. It's going to be okay. And I'll still allow myself to be in that place of hope. Like, hey, it might happen. Because that's one thing I always believed is that I believe God's the giver of life. I believe all things are possible with God. And so I never gave up. I don't care what birthday passed. You know, I had my daughter at 42 and two weeks later turned 43. So I was coming in hot late in life, you know? (laughs) But... I always held on to that very strongly, you know, because in the secular world, we're very much about tick-tock, tick-tock, you know, how old are you? You reach a certain age, you know, you're high, you get all the pamphlets, here you go, you're like, oh, what is this? These are all the high-risk pamphlets and these are all the things we think you should do. And you're like, oh, am I really that, you know, mature? <laughs> so, but anyway, um, yeah, so after... Um, you know, trying what we were going to try in the miscarriage, you know, this is years, 15 years. It took Rob and I to have children, you know, not one year, not two years, not three years, 15 years of actively trying to have a baby. Um, 
But I will say, you know, there's a scripture that says those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And that I found to be true because there were so many times throughout those 15 years where I ran out of strength. I ran out of gas in my tank where I was either down or discouraged or angry or jealous. Um, But when I ran to God and when I ran to his word, I was renewed. I could get back up and I could believe you know, no, God loves me. He's not torturing me. He's not, he hasn't forgotten me. He's not punishing me for past sins. God loves me. God has a plan for me and it's all gonna be okay. And I could really start to refute those lies of the enemy that come in, you know, and attack you. Um, you know, that's why it's so important to take up the shield of faith. So when those lies come in, you can, you know, start to block them and dodge them. And so my husband and I, we had always thought about adoption. I had worked in adoption. My first job was a pregnancy counselor for Bethany Christian Services. So I walked with um, women who made the courageous decisions um, to place their children for adoption. Um, and I, and that was a, ooh, you talk about a job. You sit in um, somebody's labor, you know, whew, something. Utmost respect for any birth mother out there. Um, but anyway, so we had talked about adoption and, you know, at this point, I didn't care. I didn't care if it was domestic adoption. I didn't care if it was international. I didn't care if, you know, it was a Martian from, you know, Mars that you gave me to raise. I was like, I'll take any baby, any race, whatever. Let's do this. And so my husband really felt called to Haiti. And so I was like, cool, let's go. Um, so I'm again, type A, let's do it. Let's get her done. Yeah. International adoption. Woo. Okay. Grab a Snickers bar. That is not for the faint of heart. You know, Haiti in particular, it's a third world country dealing with the type A personality. (laughs) God bless the social worker in Haiti who had to deal with me. Oh boy. I mean, you're just talking a whole different world. So again, you set yourself up. Okay, here's the plan. Now we're doing this, right? We're doing adoption. Oh, and I should say this because this is a key point. Um, Prior to us heading into the adoption realm, my husband and I, my husband said to me one day, my husband had always been my biggest cheerleader. He's incredibly optimistic. He like never complains. Sometimes I wanna like rip off his face and be like, are you real? Like, are you like a Martian from another world? Because like, I can tend to be a little critical, a little, (laughs) you know, perfectionistic. That's not Rob. He doesn't complain. He's a servant's heart, whatever. God bless him. So he said to me one day, who had been my biggest cheerleader, biggest you know, form of encouragement, optimism. He said, you know, Rach, I just don't think this is gonna happen. And I think we need to pursue a different direction. And that conversation, I remember him, and he wasn't saying that to crush me. He was saying that just like, look, this isn't happening. Like, let's just close that door. It's okay. And let's try to pursue pursue something else. But to me, I felt like, oh, like you've been my biggest cheerleader. And now you don't think it's gonna happen? Like, And so I remember journaling that day and really thinking, okay, God, now it's me and you. Now it's really just me and you. And as crazy as this sounds, you could tell I was growing so greatly, so much in my faith, because now I was almost like excited. You you know, God has a way of making the odds really bad. (laughs) And all of a sudden I started to get excited because it was like Gideon, you know, Gideon is somebody I studied for years and years and years. And... Gideon, you know, he was completely defeated. You know, the Midianites had crushed them. They had nothing left. The land was devastated. And Gideon was pretty much just like hiding out, 
completely depressed, you know, and you know, this angel of the Lord shows up, right? He's like, hey, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, uh, you, who, who are you talking to? You talking to me? You know, cause Gideon did not feel mighty. Gideon felt completely devastated. And I could relate to that. I felt completely devastated. My land was dry, okay? And you know, when this angel of the Lord shows up, you know, Gideon asked a very interesting question, which I think most of us ask in our hearts, if we're honest. He said, if the Lord is with me, why has all this happened? And I'll tell you what, that's the crux of it, ladies and gentlemen. If the Lord is with me, why has all this happened? You have a powerful moment of what you're gonna believe in that instant. Cause we're all gonna ask that question, right? You know, the Bible's loaded with scriptures about children. Um, I wanted a child. I, I'm a married woman. I'm trying to, you know, build up the kingdom of God. <laughs> um, but in that moment, I, we all have to ask ourselves, what, where, what are we gonna do? Are we gonna walk away from our faith and think God is punishing us or is mad at us or is just a cruel God? Or are we gonna dig in our heels and believe that God works out all things for the good? to those that know and love him and are called according to his purpose. And I chose to really believe God's not against me. You know, it's okay to be different than your girlfriends. Your plans are all gonna look so different and God's gonna use me. And I'm not, it was kind of like the dog days are over. I had bought those lies for so many years, I'm done. I'm done believing those lies. God loves me, God's got a plan and I'm gonna trust him to build my family and we're moving forward, however that's gonna look. And when I was talking about those odds too, the odds, you know, like I said, when Rob was my cheerleader, now he's all of a sudden not. I remember journaling that day. Okay, God, now it's me and you. You know, it's me and you. And, you know, your girlfriends after, you know, 10 years, they don't really know what to say. You know, on the 10th year, you know, on the 10th Mother's Day when they're sending group text, happy Mother's Day. And then forgetting, oh crap, Rachel's on that text. She's not a mom you know, or when somebody's pregnant and they're like rubbing the belly and I'm standing right there and they're going crazy over the belly, kind of not remembering like I'm standing right there and, you know, just not really knowing their, their audience. But anyway, with um, Gideon, I mean, that really encouraged me. God took a, you know, 32,000 army strong and whittled it down to 300 people. Now that does not seem like a wise idea. <laughs> like let's keep the soldiers you know, but God's like, no, that's too many. That's too many because then people are gonna brag in their own strength. You know, and I felt like God was doing that with me. Like all these plans weren't working, you know, then I did get pregnant and then that didn't work, you know, that ended. But I was like, you know what? God's bigger than all this. We're good to go. So that was a moment I had before we decided to adoption. You know, when Rob had said, let's, let's move in a different direction. And I was like, okay, let's do that. So we start pursuing Haiti. Um, I did not, re I was pretty naive going into that. Um, how long and discouraging of a process that can be. Um, and like I said, I was already kind of, my, my tank was a little low, you know, and you know, you gotta keep feeding yourself and keep feeding yourself. You have strong days and then you, you go down again. Um, so that was not for the faint of heart, but I did keep renewing my strength. And at the end of the day, you know, you keep getting emails and it's just discouraging. Like, oh, the country's slowing down or they're shutting down or there's a problem or whatever. And so it was very discouraging news day after day. But I just kept saying, I'll never forget, I bought this because I was working. I had gone farther in my career than I ever thought. You know, I got a master's degree, I got licenses, I got certifications, all kinds of things I never thought I would, mainly in mental health and addiction. 
And I was at a place where I was now working for a large company. I was a marketing rep and I had a big territory. And, you know, I'd go to these big marketing meetings and fancy conference rooms all dressed up. And I bought this that said anything could happen because this is what kept me in these meetings when I was looking like I was paying attention and looking like I really cared about my numbers and my Salesforce numbers and how many clients I'm bringing in. I mean, I did, I worked hard, but my heart still ached to be a mom and to go to a mom's group and, you know, to just bake cookies at home and all that stuff. And so I bought this journal that said anything could happen. And I kept it with me at all times when I was working, just as a reminder, as I was going through this international adoption, doesn't matter if the country slows down, doesn't matter if, you know, the whole orphanage shuts down, anything can happen because God is in control. And that is what kept me. I just kept believing God's in control. None of this stuff is surprising to God of what these twists and turns of the international adoption world are taking you. And so anyway, about two years into this adoption process, we still are not matched with the child. And you know, you're giving money, you're doing all this stuff and it's not, you know, little money, it's big money you're given and you're, you don't even have a match with a child yet. And so my husband and I, this was like in August of 2015, we, he, I said to him, I said, you know, Rob, where are you at? I said, you know, if we don't have a match by December, the end of this year, 2015, maybe we should pull out. And he was in agreement. We were both in agreement. Like, look, we've given it. We've given it everything we got. Physically, mentally, we've pursued a lot of different options, you know? And we were both in agreement with that. So it was just a good place of just, you felt peace. Like, okay, we'll pull out at the end of the year. And that was in August of 2015. And in on Labor Day of 2016 or 2015, like a couple of weeks later, I found out I was pregnant with my daughter, you know, all on our own, no fertility, just la. And I remember the night um, we were, we went out to dinner and we're driving. And I said, would you mind stopping at Walgreens? He's like, no, why? What's up? And I'm like, I just want to grab a pregnancy test. And he kind of looked at me like, are you crazy? <laughs> like, okay, crazy, Rachel. No, he didn't. He's very accommodating. I, I put that in there. He's gonna like, yeah, you're making me look crazy. He was very accommodating, very kind. He's like, sure, go ahead, knock yourself out. So he took a pregnancy test. He's watching TV. And I came out with the smirk on my face. And I was just like, I knew that I knew that I knew that this was God. This was God. Um, because like I said, I had said throughout this journey, God, I'm gonna trust you to write my story. And I'm gonna believe that it can be better than anything I could have written. Um, Cause God's word says he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than all we can ask, think or imagine. But you have to believe it. You know, there's great power that's available to us if we believe. And I think my heart aches today because there's so many people, particularly young people that don't believe in God's word. They don't know how to use it. They don't know the power of it. And God's word is what gave me the hope to keep going and to just believe that it's gonna be okay and it's gonna be good, whether I became a mom or not. Cause I know some women are gonna be out there hearing the story and they're gonna be like, yeah, but you got the baby. It all turned out for you, right? Well, it did, yes. But you have to understand, I came to a place well before I had that baby that I had made a decision, whether I have a baby or not, God's got a good plan for my life. I didn't know if God was gonna give me a baby through pregnancy. I always believed he could, but could and would are two different things. I always had faith in my heart. God could do anything he wanted with me um, physically. Would he? 
I don't know. Again, it goes back to my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Just as the heavens are higher above the earth, so are your thoughts and ways so much higher than mine. So I had to recognize, I don't know, but he knows. And when you come to that place of trusting in God's plan and believing it's gonna be good and even better than your plan, man, that's a sweet spot to be. As the adoption process continues, Rachel realizes that her times are in God's hands and allows that to be her benchmark. She surrenders her plan while keeping her desire to become a mom and believes wholeheartedly that God's way is higher than her own. She finally got to the place that if she didn't have children, she's gonna be okay. When her tank ran low, she ran to God and he renewed her and gave her the strength to keep going. So, like I said, I never knew that I was going to have Riley. I believed it could happen. I didn't know that it would. Um, so yeah, so I found out I was pregnant in um, September, Labor Day 2015, and I had Riley. Um, when I, you know, you Google your pregnancy date on your phone and you put in your last period or whatever, and it came up Mother's Day. And I remember just like, you know, in the privacy of my own home, just like falling to my knees crying because I thought only you could have wrote that, God. Only you could have done that because I couldn't have planned that. I couldn't, I wasn't even really aware of the timing. I had pretty much given up at that. I mean, not given up, but I wasn't actively trying. We were in a, an international adoption thing. And some people are gonna say, because people tell me this too, so I gotta say this. People, some people are gonna say, that's why you got pregnant because you started the adoption process. For all the people that say that, stop saying that. That is a, not a good thing to say because you know, like I said, people had all their different ideas. You got to go on vacation. We went to Maui. You got to relax, Rachel. Well, I can be relaxed. You got to do this. You got to do that. I did a lot of different things. Um, but when people would say, well, that's why you got pregnant. You started the adoption process. I don't think that's why I got pregnant. I think I got pregnant because that was God's timing. God's word says he makes all things beautiful in his time. Again, his time, not my time. Uh, that was God's time. So it, I don't think it had anything to do with, oh, I relaxed enough or I, I had the right cocktail of fertility things. Now, granted, all that stuff, God works through. God works through fertility doctors. God works through adoption to build families. But when it happens, that's God's plan. You know what I mean? And so I, I don't, I just believe it was God's time. And that was probably one of the best things somebody ever told me. Um, a wise Christian woman said to me, she said, God makes all things beautiful in his time. That was a good thing to say to somebody, you know, cause a lot of other things happened in there that, that can be hurtful, you know, that well-meaning people say, um, but don't realize, you know, it, they can be very hurtful. And in their defense, I've probably been one of those people that, you know, have said ignorant things that have hurt people unknowingly. So yeah, um, so I got pregnant and then two weeks later, actually, we had a match with a little boy in Haiti. So it was like, are you kidding me? We're gonna have two. But long, well, long story short there, I couldn't travel. Every country has different travel. With Haiti, you have to travel two weeks for a bonding trip, both spouses. And my doctor would not approve for me to go to Haiti with malaria and different things pregnant and having lost a, you know, a miscarriage before. So we had to put that on hold and everything. Um, so yeah, so that's where I'm at. Now Riley's four. I wish I would have had somebody some type of ministry at that season in my life because I was pretty alone. But the, the good thing that happened out of that is it brought me to my knees 
And it, I don't think I would have had the faith that I have had I got my plan, had I got married and had boom, boom, boom kids. I don't, I, I wouldn't be the Rachel I am today because the Rachel I am today, who's in, just on fire for the word of God and emboldened to encourage people in the word of God, that was birthed in the trenches. That was birthed in the trenches in a lot of years of just sitting over scripture and, you know, tears falling and journaling out your feelings and trying to make sense of what's going on. You know, um, my daughter made this in school. God has a plan. And those of you that can't see, it's got Joseph in a jail cell. And a lot of us feel like this. It's like, that's not the best marketing tactic, you know, uh, to sign up to be a Christian. <laughs> you know, Joseph's in a jail cell. God's got a plan. Oh, sign me up, you know? Um, but when we trust God, I guess my best advice would be to trust God, that God knows your name. He knows who you are. If nothing is happening it, that you can see with your eyes, it does not mean that God isn't working on your behalf because God's word says he assigns each of us our portion and our cup and he makes our lot secure and each of us have a beautiful inheritance. So my best advice would be to women twofold. One, trust God and believe that. Believe in your heart that he's not punishing you. He's not withholding good from you. You know, because right, isn't that like, it goes back to the Garden of Eden. Oh, we can eat everything but that one. Well, that's the one I want. So you're withholding something from me, God. You know, and again, there's a lie. You got to recognize these lies. God is not withholding good from me. Um, trust God. But the second part would be, to allow yourself to grieve and be real. Because for me as a Christian, it, it took a couple years into this journey to really let myself be real. Cause I knew God's word. And so I could recite it, um, you know, intellectually I could recite God's word and okay, I'm doing good. It's all gonna be good. But there was, there was a disconnect between what I knew in my head and what I believed in my heart. There was a big disconnect. I mean, I could say God's word, but in my heart, I still felt like, where are you? what are you doing? This like sucks. But a couple years into that, I, that, that shifted where it was no, it, there was a match. Like, I know God's got a plan for me. He loves me. It's good. It's going to be great. And I, I could trust that in my heart. My heart could rest in that instead of being so restless. I could rest in believing it's all going to be good. I don't have to get excited for every new plan that, okay, now it's gluten. Okay, now it's the fertility doctor. Okay, now it's Maui. You know, when you get all excited and ramped up for the plan that's gonna make it happen, only to be defeated again. And what I learned through that was, God, my hand, my time are in God's hands, period. My times are in God's hands and God's got it. I can relax a little bit, like truly relax. Um, so that would be my best advice to women is, you know, you got to acknowledge your feelings. I had to re recognize that I was angry and I didn't know it was okay to be angry, you know, because I had some, I had had somebody that was a leader in the church had told me, you know, it's not okay to be angry with God. And I, I knew off the cuff that didn't sound right. Um, but I had to really flesh that out myself. And I think that, you know, God made us emotional people and it's okay to weep. It's okay to be mad. It's okay to be brokenhearted, you know, grief. And that's one thing too, that came out of it. I, you know, I was counseling at this point, but I was not certified in grief. So then I became certified in grief. And I learned about all these other losses that fly under the radar that we miss, um, that people's heart 
break every day for different things. And I became very attuned then to this thing called grief and that it's okay to not be okay and to be authentic. Um, and I could say no to some showers if I needed to, or I didn't have to make a meal every time. I mean, I still did and I tried to, but I extended myself some grace because I really beat myself up. Like I should be able to be happy for other people. I should be able to go to this baby shower and put on a smile. And yes, I did that stuff and some of it was genuine, but sometimes there was just days where maybe I could have extended myself some grace. So yeah, my <laughs> advice to women, um, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord and you will renew your strength. Only God could write this beautiful story. He is the giver of life, and He knew a baby due on Mother's Day at the age of 42 after a 17-year journey was His perfect timing. Along this difficult journey, God built a warrior woman whose faith grew in the trenches. The tears, the journaling, the pouring over scripture and believing every word she read gave her hope in Him. His word has great power to those who believe it. God can do a lot of things different. And I do wanna read something because I think it would be really encouraging to people. So I came across um, this book. I served on Trinity's board, Trinity College board. And one day when I was waiting for a board meeting, I went into the coffee shop and I found this book. And you talk about a divine moment. The man that wrote this book, Russell Kelfer. I never met him, never knew he existed. Oh, but God, use this man and you're gonna, you're gonna see why. So I come across this book, cause like I said, I'm waiting for this board meeting. And so the book is called Wait and uh, it's by Russell Kelfer. It says, desperately, helplessly, longingly, I cried. Qu quietly, patiently, lovingly, God replied. I pled and I wept for a clue to my fate. And the master so gently said, wait. Wait, you say, wait, my indignant reply, Lord, I need answers, I need to know why. Is your hand shortened or have you not heard? By faith I have asked and I'm claiming your word. My future and all to which I relate hangs in the balance and you tell me to wait? I'm needing a yes, a go ahead sign, or even a no to which I'll resign. You promised dear Lord that if we believe, you need but to ask and we shall receive. Lord, I've been asking, and this is my cry. I'm weary of asking, I need a reply. Then quietly, softly, I learned of my fate. And my master replied again, wait. So I slumped in my chair, defeated and taught and grumbled to God. So I'm waiting for what? He seemed then to kneel and his eyes met with mine. And he tenderly said, I could give you a sign. I could shake the heavens and darken the sun. I could raise the dead and cause mountains to run. I could give all you seek and pleased you would be. You'd have what you want, but you wouldn't know me. You'd not know the depth of my love for each saint. You'd not know the power that I'd give to the faint. You'd not learn to see through clouds of despair. You'd not learn to trust just by knowing I'm there. You'd not know the joy of resting in me when darkness and silence are all you can see. You'd never experience the fullness of joy when the peace of my spirit descends like a dove. You would know that I give and I say for a start, but you'd not know the depth of the beat of my heart. The glow of my comfort laid into the night, the faith that I give 
when you walk without sight. The depth that's beyond getting just what you ask from an infinite God who makes what you have last. You'd never know should your pain quickly flee what it means that my grace is sufficient for thee. Yes, your dearest dreams overnight would come true, but oh, the loss if you missed what I'm doing in you. So be silent, my child, and in time you will see that the greatest of gifts is to truly know me. And though oft my answers seem terribly late, my most precious answer of all is still wait. And I have to say that book says more eloquently than I ever could what happened to me. Because what he describes in that is what happened to me. Um, You know, I grew up normal kid, right? Came from a loving Christian home, you know, um, didn't want for anything. But I, there was this deep insecurity in me. I don't know why. I just had this insecurity of me, kind of always felt not good enough or whatever. And then you go through infertility and it's like heightened. Like I, I talked about that shame before and why me and what's different with me. And I, God used that experience to show me his depth of love for me. And it's odd. It seems weird, right? Like, why would you put someone through that? But the lessons that I learned through infertility and through a miscarriage, I would not change. I would not change because I'm a different person. Believe me, I'm still a huge work in progress. But my faith became my own, really became my own. And I know that I know that I know that God loves me. God's got a plan for me and it's going to be good. Rachel's advice to other women who are in the trenches of infertility, trust God. Allow yourself to grieve and be real. Acknowledge your emotions and wait on the Lord. His plan for you is good. This was Shine 180, Rachel's story. I'm Steph Reynolds, Director of Partner Care for Shine.fm. Your story matters. Your story offers hope and encouragement to others. Share your story today by calling 855 987-9866. That's 855-987-9866. Shine 180, stories of lives transformed by God because of your faithfulness.